Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. How to be vocal and creative. He was inspired by many popular television shows to do the things that he's doing. He has lived abroad on two continents. Hassan has an extensive interest in conversation and has many experiences in many areas. So we're going to be talking to him about his story, everything that he's doing, and how you can do the same. Hassan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you very much as well. I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate you. Why don't you start off by giving a little background about yourself? Okay. Well, I am um, Hassan Hilliard, um, corporate professional, I guess you can say. Um, Jack of all trades, as my friends would say, but uh, a a myriad of interests. I'm from the South, born in Houston, Texas, primarily raised here as well. Um, So um, understanding how things work within the South is one thing, but I'm also a part of the inner city community. So I was... um, introduced to life in the inner city construct, so to speak, in terms of education, social standards, social setting, you know, comparatively in Black America. That's how that started. That was the very early 80s. Uh, So I'm a product at the death of disco and the beginning of hip hop, I like to say. Well, I'm from the South too. So I'm from Louisiana. So let's talk about your childhood. You were allowed or encouraged to be creative and vocal, and you had influenced by a lot of popular television shows. Talk about that and who sparked your vocal and creative side and talk about the shows that that influenced you as well. Sure. Um, So I'm uh, my inspiration, or at least my permission, I guess, as a child to be vocal and creative. um, The way I worded that is because I I give all credit of that to my parents, as well as my family, uh, as well as my neighbors. Because, you know, under the understanding that it takes a community and a village to raise a child, a lot of people had their hand in my upbringing. And what I witnessed when I was younger uh, between my parents, godparents, neighbors and friends is that this community was very eclectic in its own way. Granted, you know, we we dealt with the struggles of what the South and the inner city gave to you um, and you had to endure there was a level of artistic expression that my father had, that my mother had, uh, as well as uh, friends and neighbors as well, that you just couldn't get around. We we had a a family, it was a large family. Um, Now I was raised effectively as an only child. I do have older siblings, but but for that, our our creativity wasn't, wasn't, you know, I don't know what, what the right word would be. They didn't just try to downplay it, though. Whatever it is that I wanted to do, I was exposed to. And the things that I didn't know about, I was exposed to as well. So we generally say that my father brought culture to the home. And then when I was older, I went to go find culture on my own. So he was an illustrator, you know, recreationally. He was also the family shutterbug. He used to take pictures with, you know, film cameras all the time, any family function, wherever you would go. And then eventually it moved into, you know, VHS camcorders. He was always recording. That's one of my fondest memories. Like you just could not escape him with a camera. 
So I have all of these family albums that are, you know, very old, from even before I was born, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, just full of pictures. And um, that helped me understand some level of expression just because I followed him around, you know, everywhere we went. And from that, even when I went to college, I went for art. I mean, I went for, you know, essentially at first graphic communications as well as photography, principles of photography. Um, and whereas a college education is fantastic, art isn't something that you can teach, but the technical aspects of art and the background of art, the, the why, so to speak, that is something that you can teach because otherwise, how do you know? I mean, you can be very talented. Talent's not something you can teach, but you can cultivate it. And I feel like my, my family gave me a good level of cultivation when it came down to um, being myself and finding out who I wanted to be. So that, that's one part of the question. Television shows used to be pretty funny for me um, because I feel like the 80s arguably is probably the best decade that we've had in America just because of pop culture right? Uh, politics aside, pop culture in itself was, was probably one of the heights of influence in the 80s to me. So shows like Miami Vice, you know, the cartoons, Transformers, He-Man, G.I. Joe, um, Godzilla, you know, the Godzilla 1981 movie was fantastic to me, but it just allowed for fantasy. Uh, Miami Vice arguably is my favorite show of all time, but the reason why isn't because of how how great it was. It's about how it was created. It's about the color. It's not really even about the acting to me. It's about how the color influenced the impact. It's about how the subject matter was new. It's about how the way the music, which was pop culture, was broken on that show. They didn't really do that before. So they introduced new songs to you because of the platform that this show had um, and the impact and the amount of popularity. It was the best show on network television. And, and granted, you know, it was about shoot 'em ups and, and, and drugs and cars, but, but in principle, Jan Hammer and Michael Mann did a fantastic job. So as an artist and as a budding artist, I was always interested in the constructors. I was always inter in, interested in the creators, not necessarily the actors, but the background persons. Um, and that was something that I aimed to be. I aimed to be a person involved in the background scenes of development concerning these immortal works, so to speak. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be behind it. So I dabbled. I dabbled a bit and um, I worked for myself as a photographer. I worked for myself uh, as an independent publisher, uh, but then I also did work for others. I did apprenticeships and, and all of that because all of that allowed me to be creative. And um, granted, I even had to get a nine to five to supplement that my money and my ambition was always driven back towards creating something up until the point, you know, you have to have a family, you have a child, get married. I mean, that's different. Um, your responsibilities are redirected, but an outlet for me has always been creativity. Well, when you talk about cartoons, you definitely got to throw in Brave Star. Wow. You took it all the way back. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> you lived on two different continents. Talk about that and tell us what the continents were and how did you adjust coming from the south and dealing with what you deal with and getting into those different cultures sure so i um in my work um i'm in was in corporate aviation effectively i still am but i'm in workforce development so now i am uh, facilitating as well as controlling the curriculum for 
approximately five countries. So um, the United States being one, this is for one, one company, one entity, but the United States is one headquarters. Uh, there is one in London, another in India um, at a newly disclosed location and one in Hong Kong and also in Brazil. I feel like I'm missing one. What did I just say? United States, Hong Kong, India, Brazil, London. Yeah, so those are the five. That being said, nowadays, just because of COVID as well as the ease of digital communication, I don't always have to travel, and especially not now, but but I don't always have to travel, but previously, before COVID, um, and for the past roughly 10 years, so to speak, I was traveling to these places to either establish them or give a health check. Because in my job, I worked at the operational ground level, but I became very good at that. Um, So then they decided to give me an opportunity to go work on a project where we stood up our corporate imprint, so to speak, uh, in Asia. So at that point, the offer was given to me uh, back in, I think it was 2010 or 11. Uh, The opportunity was given to me to go to Singapore, um, where I would relieve one of our persons on ground and then start to establish this particular project of us improving our global imprint in the Asian market. Uh, and so for that, uh, I went to Singapore, man. And um, that's legitimate. I don't think it's a, it doesn't feel like it's a real place. It's kind of, it's a city state. So there is no other place. You can't say you're in Houston, Texas. You're just in Singapore, right? By comparison. Um, because if you go, you know, a couple of miles north, you're in a whole different environment. But Singapore is Singapore. And for that, um, I got ingrained into the culture because I'm an information kid. So I was super excited and I was doing all my research before that. And uh, when the opportunity was for me to hop on that flight, um, kiss my wife, kiss my daughter, told them I'd be back soon. And um, and off I went. And that's 11,500 miles away. By virtue of the I flew, it's 11,500 miles away. And that was a nice flight. And when I got there, um, I was in Singapore for a month. At that point, we established that Singapore wasn't conducive for us to start our footprint. So I had three options, uh, which I was helped in, in making the choice. And Hong Kong ended up being the option that we took. So we packed up everything in Singapore, went over to Hong Kong. Um, now, Singapore and Hong Kong, in similarity, they're on the same time zone but then also English fundamentally is one of the common languages. It's not the most common, but it is a common language. So I didn't really have an adjustment in concerns of language when I was there, which was one of the reasons why I voted for Hong Kong in the first place. I didn't have to learn a new language to be in the country. Um, Even though I did try to immerse myself culturally into what would be the Chinese culture that's there. Um, but Hong Kong is slightly different because mainland China is mainland China. Uh, culturally, whole different place. Hong Kong is directly based on colonial British, very similar to you know a Chicago or a New York, right, or a metropolitan city. Um, so again, the adjustment wasn't that bad. What was an adjustment was time uh, for communications back home, all right, because it's essentially twelve-hour differences. And then also, you know, where you want to go eat. But I'm a foodie, so I eat everything. But after a certain period of time, your foodie exploits just become regular food. You know, if you wanted to try Szechuan cooking on a Friday night in your hometown, maybe you can go find the one spot that does it and you do that every Friday. I had to do it every day 
because that was, you know, what was available there. And there's fast food places, but I really don't eat fast food. So, you know, I was kind of in the country. I was in the place. I was with the people, making my friends and associations with the people. But Hong Kong's very, very Vegas in, in the sense of being an expatriate. I'm an expatriate there. So it's very much like Las Vegas, whereas the people you meet there may not be from there and they may not be there for very long. So you kind of have to learn how to let go very quickly. Make some friends fast, but understand when you have to let them go because they might get on a flight leaving somewhere else. And then you can also fly within the region virtually anywhere you wanted to for about 50 or 60 dollars, which is nice because you know how much airfare is back home. You know, so it gave me an opportunity to explore. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to immerse myself into a separate area because Houston is a wide city. Chicago, by comparison, is a, is a close-knit city. New York, clearly, they live on top of each other. And Hong Kong is very similar to that. So I'm a kid from the South that's not even accustomed to living at this close proximity. I don't have public transportation this way. You know, they have a metro system, uh, which is the train system. We don't have that back home. So, you know, I'm wedged in trains with, you know, a lot of people. This is pre-COVID, ladies and gentlemen, for, for your listeners, by the way. Because I know that's going to give us a new level of anxiety now, knowing that you're, you know, you're touching shoulders with everyone, you know, but back then it was common. It was just, you know, your, your understanding of proximity and personal space is not the same. So, you know, that was a, that was an adjustment process, a learning experience. Plus I'm, you know, roughly 200 pound black man walking around Hong Kong. I mean, that's effectively Godzilla to them. They haven't seen anything like that. A very interesting thing though, was that the first time I was in Hong Kong, there were maybe a handful of, of African people there. I'm the only African-American, but there was like a handful of Africans. I mean, like maybe 50 in the entire country. And the second time I went, it was, you know, a couple of hundred. It was a lot. It was a lot more. Um, but that's because of work. They migrate in and out and uh, for work. Um, and I made really good friends there, you know, uh, Congolese, you know, um, British, French. Malaysian. I mean, it's just such a melting pot city. It was beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful in that regard. And I'm actually very thankful that I was there and I lived there for like two, like a year total, but I was going in and out, but I was very thankful to be there during a time frame before they had protests, before they had riots, before the Chinese came in and tried to regain some fundamental control of the political infrastructure. Um, I just really had a, uh, what I would call a purer time living in, uh, in South Asia. And that's one continent. Um, and the second continent was the United Kingdom. So I was there before Brexit um, and I was living there and I was in the village of Stansted. And clearly there's no language barrier there, but I was in the village of Stansted where I would go back and forth to London to see my family and friends because I have my brother and sister out there still. And um, yeah, so I was um, in London as well. Not too much of a cultural adjustment there, but definitely the food is different. But the countryside is amazing, you know. But again, you know, we're you're from Louisiana. I'm from Houston. My place is flat. Like you know, Houston's very flat, um, as opposed to and Louisiana might not be very hilly. But you know, as far out you can go a little bit further out, and the hills are different. Um, the the fall leaves, you know, transitional fall is different because you're no longer in the Gulf, you know, um, because for us it's either hot or wet, green or dead. But for you know places like. London, I mean, it's, it's the foliage is there, you know, the leaves are falling and they're all over the street. You know, it, it has a different level of a feel to it. It's romanticized almost. 
So um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself out there as well. I was there for two seasons. Well, let's talk about the platform that you created. Why did you decide to create it and tell us what it's about and, and what it does for people? Qualified is a platform that I created, which was um, at the suggestion of a couple of friends of mine and a couple of employees over at um, the main job because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a talker only when I'm talked to. I, I, I don't really just jump in and throw out a whole lot of, you know, stuff and, and, and talk to people who don't really want to talk to me. But if, if we're in an environment where you want to pick my brain and you want to know, oh, I heard you like to eat a lot of food, or I heard you've been to a lot of places, where have you been? You know, when the conversation becomes that way and it becomes casual, I have no problem opening myself up to talk to you about that. Well, what is the what the pandemic has done is given us a um, an unfortunately a closed off way of living. And if we're vocal social butterflies or like to travel and do all of these things, that clipped our wings. We're not able to do so within a safe zone, you know, uh, curbing your anxieties. So for me, in what I really enjoyed, honestly, uh, Curtis, when you when when I really think back. What I liked about traveling, because I've traveled to quite a few places, but what I really enjoyed is that when I travel alone, the purity of meeting someone new and engaging with them in a social setting over coffee, tea or, or lunch, just, you know, just hanging out and learning about them because you know nothing about them. You just you just want to know how to get around this place or where to go, what to see, who are they, you know, where their family's from, all those things. I thought that it would be a great idea to take my knowledge and have the conversation with individuals who shared similar experiences so that we can talk about it comparatively so that it doesn't sound like me just talking about me all the time. Um, but I wanted to at least discuss it in a one-on-one -on -one and or group setting just about the subject matter that I felt would be interesting, but not as prevalent in the normal podcast space, and especially not in the Black podcast space. It's just not something that we usually do. So for me, uh, knowing that this was a gap, I decided to create the platform so that we can educate, inform, entertain, um, just you know, have a, a really good time sharing ideas and, and thoughts and conversations with interesting people. Um, so qualified, the podcast isn't about me being qualified. It is about the individual guest being qualified as well, if not more qualified than me, um, to educate me and or the guest on, on whatever the subject matter is, be it business, travel, um, culinary, art, creativity, the industry, you know, social awareness, uh, all of those things. Um, that, again, I don't feel like we have an avid platform that's usually, as far as the algorithm is concerned, is not usually highlighted that way. I mean, we talk about sneakers. I'm a sneaker head. I like to collect sneakers, and, and that's great. But that's not all there is here. Uh, there's not all there is to us. Education is here. Um, you know, fundamental understandings of, of astrology and, and architecture and interior design. Again, I'm an art kid. So for me, Whereas somebody else who's looking for entertainment in the gossip slash, you know, sex talk space, pardon my language, I'm just saying if in, in terms of that subject matter, that's not this. It's not even a music podcast, even though I know musicians and, and, and creators and composers. 
But if I was to talk about music, I'd be talking about the industry and, and things to be aware of in terms of monetization and opportunities. That's what I want to talk about. Not necessarily when your album drops, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't mean it disrespectfully. I just mean that there are a lot of other podcasts who do that really well. And that's just not my lane. So that is the platform that I created, which hopefully uh, serves as purpose in giving people a bit more education in, in the areas of opportunity that aren't just the atypical advertised and mass marketed areas for us. So let's talk about sneakers. You just said you like sneakers. Oh, yeah. How many pair do you own? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. We, what made we you just, decide to collect them? That's how we grew up. You know, when we were talking about this era, um, you know, we we're talking about the 80s. Uh, we're talking about Run DMC, you know, my Adidas. We're talking about, and you know, that's really interesting. I'll, I'll say this, too, as a side note. I grew up in an era where you could not have dirty shoes. Right. So this kind of compelled the, the thought process of like, I got to have a few pairs of shoes because, you know, your first day of school, you want to have nice, clean sneakers. And, you know, your parents work very hard and they try to get that for you. And, and, and that's fine. And we're not talking about social status. I don't I don't want this to be a, an elitist statement. I'm just talking about what we had fundamentally in terms of what the group was doing. It was the feeling that you had to have fresh shoes. So. You get your pair, you get your one pair. If you could, you get your two pair. Um, when you get a little money in your pocket, you might have five, you know, and you say, I got a shoe for every day of the week. You know, and that's how it starts. <laughs> that's how it starts. That's not how it ends, uh, but that's how it starts. And um, after a while, you know, if you stay in it long enough, you may consider yourself a collector, which I do, sneakerhead for short, but I'm more of a collector. And then other people, there's a term called hype, which means you buy anything that's popular. And that's not me. So for me, my sneaker collection is we're well into three digits here. But I mean, but my sneaker collection isn't the one that you would say, like, oh, he has every pair of Air Jordans. I actually don't own a single pair of Air Jordans. Um, I don't particularly like a pair of Yeezys. They're, they're just not mine because that is hype to me. I'm buying things that you can't get. I'm, I'm collecting, I'm searching, I'm, I'm bargaining, you know, and I buy them brand new. I don't buy them used. So my, my search is a little different, but I am still very much a part of that community. Well, let's talk about food. Uh, I read in your bio that you love to eat. So tell us about your favorite type of food and why it's your favorite food. I love pizza. You like pizza? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a foodie. Um, we, if I was to say that I cook a certain way, it's probably going to be rustic or fusion. Uh, I did learn how to cook traditionally, just you know, going through um, those restaurant tours as well as going to the kitchen and paying for the classes to teach you how to cook classically. I, I'm not classically trained. I just, I really care about how the end result of the food is. But for me, when I'm going out, I'll never order anything that I can cook myself. So we're in the South. I'm in Texas. We kill cows out here. I eat steak, um, but that's not my favorite food. I think my favorite food is Northern Thai um, cuisine. That would probably be my favorite food. Hands down. I like sushi uh, as well. Um, I like good French cuisine and um, I like, you know, uh, comfort foods, but that's usually like fusion. You know what I mean? I like, I like good comfort food fusion. So yeah, those are like my favorite, but if I had to choose one, Hands down, if I could eat that five days a week, it would be Northern Thai. 
Well, tell us about any projects that you're working on or any upcoming projects that people need to know about. Sure. Um, so Qualified is doing well, um, which I'm very, very thankful for. That is a, a growing community that I like to say of, of good social and colorful conversations. So that is available on all digital streaming platforms. If you Google Qualified, comma, the podcast, you'll find it. If you go to YouTube and search the same, you'll find it. And uh, I also have done the diligence of trademarking. And one of those that I've trademarked is the logo. So that's Q-L-A-F-D. Um, so that in itself is searchable as well now. Very thankful for that. Uh, that's the mainstay. Um, I work in collaboration with a few uh, people. I mentor and collaborate with photographers for digital creations. My media group is P3 Media. Uh, but you can see some of my work floating around on the main website, the Qualified Podcast website. Uh, but yeah, that's the um, that's the current project. That's the baby, so to speak, um, that we're nurturing to grow into a, a larger footprint. Tell us about your books and what it was like to win the business awards that you've been involved in winning the 30 under 30. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. So that was a while ago. Let's just let me just say that right now uh, because I'm not 30. <laughs> but the um, yeah, the entrepreneurial endeavors that I took when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s, allowed me to uh, learn what self-publishing was. See, now they have a drop shipping process that didn't exist when I was doing that. I think you probably remember it, too. Um, so, you know, we had to understand what that was like uh, in the entirety of the process from farm to table. So with my photography background, uh, as well as my graphic communication background, I understood how to clearly take a picture. Uh, but I also understood how to do layouts uh, for pages. Um, I did free, we'll call it free, uh, consultations as well as designs for a few uh, magazine companies uh, and publications. So I kind of understood bleed lines and editorials. Um, I was fortunate enough to be the editor, fashion editor for Houston Style Magazine uh, at the time. So for me, I just understood how media, print media in that regard worked. So I went into self-publishing uh, and I was working with a couple of fashion models at the time on their portfolio development. Um, I started a company um, called The Industry Profile and uh, that's no longer existent, but I started that company and we were doing contract photography as well as model portfolio development and consultation. And um, that website ended up getting 100,000 hits a month, which at that time was something to speak about. Now that's, you know, a drop in the bucket. But at that time, it was something else because the Internet wasn't as wide and big and vast as it is right now. So when you use that for marketing purposes to say that my website gets 100,000 hits, they, they raise their eyebrows to take you seriously. So I was doing advertisement on a site at that point, getting quarterly earnings from you know companies because they knew they wanted that web traffic. So I was understanding all of these things is my point. I was understanding all of it. Um, and with that, when the company, uh, excuse me, when the magazine started a award ceremony for 30 under 30, I got nominated and I didn't think anything of it because I was so busy, you know, just doing what I needed to do. I didn't think anything of it. And the next thing I know, they told me that I had won and I was in this book, you know, that was, sponsored by, you know, one of the Houston societies, you know, very upper echelon. Um, and you'll forgive me, I'm not trying to be vague. It's just that it's been a while. So, um, but nonetheless, they, um, they awarded that to me. And I believe I might've been 26 years old when I won that. So 
um, yeah, it was it was a, a really nice honor. And what I think was more beautiful at the time, though, is because, number one, it was validating all the hard work that I did for myself, by myself. But I took my friends along with me who are also involved in their own personal projects. So I wasn't just doing that for me. I was doing that so that I could show them that our city actually does appreciate us because there was a time where we didn't think that it did. There, there was a time where we thought that we needed to go somewhere else and become really popular so that we can get the respect that we felt we deserved in our own hometown. That, that, was, a, that was a classic, although toxic feeling that we had in this, in this large city. Um, but I didn't need to. Lo and behold, thank God, I actually got awarded for some of the hard work I did and um, took me to that award ceremony. We celebrated really hard that night, but I wanted to thank a lot of people to do it. You know, Bradford Dion, Roderick Robinson, Anicia Landry, like these people were really with us or, and we were helping each other in our little artistic collective creativities. It was a, it was a beautiful time back then. It really was. Well, congratulations to you on that. Go ahead and throw out your contact information, website, social media links. How can people connect with Hassan? Um, yeah. So the business uh, is QLAFD podcast on Instagram, Twitter. Um, it is just QLAFD on Facebook um, because we're really into branding. So we like that. Uh, it is qualifiedpodcast.com for the website where you can catch all of the streams of every episode we've recorded. We're currently closing season two. Um, so we'll be recording for season three uh, over the break. And then additionally, P3 Media LLC is floating around through a, a couple of photographers' websites because I do behind the scenes footage for them uh, now. So Trent Atkins at Grexis Photo, uh, as well as RJ Washington Photography and Raw Kicks 713 are three places where you can Google uh, in order to find more work for me as well as my business associates. You got any final thoughts before we close it out? Uh, well, first of all, thank you uh, again uh, very much. Um, also, um, just you know, for the sake of your platform, I wanted to um, just uh, voice my appreciation of the fact that you are essentially what I believe in in terms of what the new wave of what podcasting should be because it's not marketed the way uh, the rest of the general interested uh, topics are. But I would like to see more of this. I'd like to see more of us um, in these spaces. And I believe that that's something that anyone can do. But if you'd like to come on either one of our platforms, you're more than welcome to. And we'd love to have the conversations as well. So if I can do it, I, I beat the odds. Thankfully, I made it over the hill, thankfully, statistically. And I thank God for it. So therefore, I would like to say if I can do it, you can too. Ladies and gentlemen, QLAFD, Hassan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I would like to ask listeners to please follow, rate, review, and share after listening. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I would like to ask listeners to please follow, rate, review, and share after listening. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. 
For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.